All right, it's Bobby. And this is Jared. And you're listening to the Frankincense Podcast. We're excited to be here uh, tonight, um, today. I don't really know. I don't know. What, whatever, whatever's going on. We're recording in the night, but it's going to be probably in the day that you're listening to this. That's right. I used to think maybe you would listen to this driving to work, but I don't know who, who drives to work anymore. I feel like we're all at home. So. I feel like if, if um, you know, people are probably listening to us while they're like in between chores in the home or walking from yeah. from one room to the next, so they only get like two minutes at a time. I think yeah. that's... <laughs> I realize how out of touch I sounded going, who drives to work? You know, I forgot about <laughs> all the people who work at the places where I go. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just sound like an idiot, but uh, <laughs> I, I realized my error. <laughs> so. there, there are still people driving to work, and hopefully, there, they're, and yeah. hopefully they're listening to this I, podcast. You go somewhere, you need to do something. There are people there working, so I guess they drove there. Hey, you know, I made a joke the other day, but um, I've kind of gotten to the point now where uh, driving to the post office is like a vacation. Yes. So I've been, and I and I was tempted to buy tropical <laughs> forever stamps just to kind of feel good. About I have myself. to. I have to plead guilty to actually having a vacation, Bobby. We went to Assateague Island, Maryland, and. Turns out it's an easy place to keep social distancing because uh, everyone's pretty spread out there. They're camping on the beach, watching wild horses, and everybody's just kind of sitting there looking at the ocean, and it was very peaceful. So. <laughs> well, I saw the pictures, and it looked like a good time, so I'm glad you were able to get away and enjoy that, so that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, there's a lot to talk about, man. So many things, so many topics that we could be addressing. And, um, you know, even today with uh, AOC addressing a, yeah. a, a political person, um, another political person uh, deciding was, to say some hateful words. That was amazing. Her reaction to it is, is mostly what I saw. And, uh, you know, I'm glad she stood up for herself, you know, in front of Congress. Yeah, the um, I think it was great that she did, um, and I think it was great what she said. I think that the guy's response um, was interesting. I saw. Oh, um, wait, wait, wait! So you responded to that? Yeah. So um, let me pull up the. Yeah, I don't know how you come back from that. I feel like he said what he said. She said what she said. Dude just needs to stay down. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's it's difficult because when you yeah. when you look at what what he said in response, because yeah, he should have just been like, "I'm sorry," um, and a lot of people were saying, is it "Anything you can is it anything you can paraphrase on the air here?" Or um, is it basically, I'm getting this from Relevant Magazine. Yeah, I'm getting this from Relevant Magazine, so it's um, kind okay. of an easier thing to All say. Right. Uh, but basically, for him, um, it says that he. The guy's name was uh, Ted Yoho, a Republican uh, from Florida, right. from what I from what I believe, um, and he said that he denied the report, saying that he cannot apologize for his passion or for loving right. my God, my family, and my country. Okay. Um, so, um, so again, this is where yeah, uh, I kind of, muddied, kind of muddied up the waters with that comment. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that when you look at what happened, you know, um, gosh, I, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm trying to see how to paraphrase it. But basically, um, somebody from 
a, a reporter overheard him saying the remarks that he made. And if you aren't aware of what he said, basically uh, it, he um, easy to find. It's derogatory swear words aimed at AOC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he referred to her in in a very derogatory way and um, and yelled at her on the steps of uh, of Capitol Capitol Hill, basically. Um, I guess that counts as, I guess that's what counts as passion. Yeah. Definition. Yeah. Um, and, right. and that he apologized for what he called the abrupt manner of the conversation. Um, so he did apologize for that, but he denied um, using the language that um, that was supposedly uh, reported that he said. Um, but okay. but the the reality of it is though um, is that you know when he, when he comes at this woman pointing at her, yelling at her, and regardless of who. Who she is, right? Um, yeah. Like she, I mean, like she's a very passionate woman herself. She's a great leader. A lot of people enjoy her her speaking, enjoy what she stands for. And then there's a lot of people who look at her and think that you know she's extreme and that she has, you know, I mean, so no matter what side you're on, again, there's no justifying speaking to somebody in this manner. Um, I'm actually. I actually wrote a blog post that's going to be coming out tomorrow. Uh, not to not to you know plug my blog, but hey, it's our podcast, and I feel like I have the right to do that. Um, yeah, I'm all for man, Bobby. I read your blog too, yeah. so you know I'm all for it. <laughs> so um, I'm doing a series right now. You know the um, Why Should We Care series right now, and yeah. I, I started off with racism. Yeah. I started off with racism, and I did. I, I read the uh, Why Should We Care About Racism. Yeah. So um, and so then uh, tomorrow the blog post Why Should We Care About Politics is coming out. This is the part two segment, and um, oh, okay. and but I but I don't I don't take sides on politics. What I'm trying to help us understand is that no matter what side you're on, we still have to remember yeah. that we all carry the image of God, right? And so there's a way right. for us to find common ground. There's a way for us to find balance. But because we've muddied the water so much on both sides. It's, in, it's almost impossible for us to come together and have these conversations without getting so angry and hateful. And, you know, this guy might say, well, I'm just passionate and I love God and I love my country. But the reality of it is, is that if we love God, then the language that we use should demonstrate that. Um, our, yeah. our passion should be we should be passionate. We should be um, desiring change or we should be willing to call things out. However, we have to do it in a way that's still honoring to God. And when we begin yeah. to start derogatorily speak to people or demean people, Jesus never did that except to the religious leaders, <laughs> except to the religious leaders, the people who would say, well, I love God. Well, okay, but you're also being um, a, a whitewashed sepulcher, right? You're being a brood of vipers. You are being – like he would say those words to the religious folk. But the outside people, the people who were not in that level, he would never would demean. He would never say anything in such a hateful way. And honestly, even when he said those words to the Pharisees and Sadducees, like he was never saying that in a way that was like like so hateful. He was just saying, look, like right. this is, you got to realize your character flaws – are not allowing you to truly represent the God you say you claim. And and that is the problem here, is that we have a guy who says that he loves God, loves his country. Well, if you love God, then everything that we need to be doing should represent that. And that's what was missing from those words on Capitol Hill. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I don't buy that whole passion thing, man. That that was just passion because you know when you you know when you feel passionate about something like a baseball game, there is a line uh, that you cross when you start to like demean the people you know on the team or the umpire or the coach. And I realize that people do that, but that's where you cross that line. I mean, you know, I, I feel like you can feel things and behave in a way towards people that's respectful of them as a human being. I don't feel that he re- was respectful to her as a human being. I think, uh, you know, I think Jesus, uh, if we're going to talk about how Jesus feels about this, because Jesus felt anger and he did criticize people, uh, you know, when he disagreed with them. And by the way, Jesus has this unique thing of any person in history that when he disagrees with someone, he's actually right. Uh, none, of, none of the rest <laughs> of us actually have that yes. going for us. Uh, but when he said uh, in Matthew 5.22, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That sounds like you should apologize when you say something, uh, you know, demeaning to someone or um, suggest that they're less intelligent or have less value than you by the word that you you call them. Right. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, we, you know, we have a responsibility, man. And, um. You know, again, I think that in this in this season, in this in the season of tension, right? We are we're moving into a season of high tension. We've been in a high tension, but I think we're moving into a season of really high tension when we are realizing that August, September, October, three months away, right? We're still in July, but August is coming. September, October, and then November is the election time. And and it's here and yeah, and you know. The reality is, I'm, I'm reading this book. Um, I think you're wrong, but I'm still listening. Like I think that's what it's called. Uh, I think that's the in parentheses it says, "But I'm still listening," or "But I'm listening." Um, a, great, yeah. a great book, by the way. If you're if you're um, if you look for a good book to read, I mentioned it in my blog post tomorrow um, and oh. with a link to purchase it because I, I I'm not getting paid to support them, but I think that they this is such a great book to read um, because it's two women from two political sides. But they're talking about um, why they have the views that they have. But one of the things that they share in there is that, um, you know, the the reality of it is, is like, yeah, election season's coming, and we're gonna have that day of voting. But there's the but the, there's tomorrow, right? And you know, you might have to vote on that Tuesday, but there's still Wednesday coming, right? And the, yeah. and so what do we do to make sure that we're still honoring God on that Wednesday? That just because our, maybe our political person that we chose didn't win, politics does not define us. It is not our end-all, be-all. And so as followers of Christ, we have to remember that, yes, politics are important. Yes, we vote. Yes, we get involved. Yes, we stand up. But that is not the end-all, be-all, because really, ultimately, we're the ones who should be defining things. We're the ones who should be setting the standard. And so we're leaning too much on government to answer and respond to things that maybe we're not willing to respond to ourselves. And so since we're not willing to respond to it ourselves, we're expecting government to take care of it. And God's like, I wanted my people to respond. I never wanted somebody else to be in charge. Like... The government is important. Like I put the people, I put the leaders in place, yes, but I want my people to be the ones who are doing the things that they're expecting the government to do. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, 
but give to God what is God's, which is all of you, right? And so, that, and that's, and I think that's the tension that we're going to be living in is when do we start drawing the line behind, between our, to draw the line to say, okay, look, here's politics, but that's, that's, a, that's a small portion of who we are. That's a small portion of what we're supposed to be about, what defines us. And until we can come back to that, we're really going to be in a tough spot. Yeah, I mean, some of us are compromised. I mean, and I think that's part of the inspiration for, you know, this podcast from the beginning is just seeing that uh, some people have allowed Christianity to become synonymous with being conservative, uh, being Republican, uh, being a lot of things, you know, and uh, it's all it's all tied up with it now. It's it's let it be. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it is tied up with it so much that we, yeah, that we've allowed to ourselves to justify language toward people on the opposite side that is not honoring to the one that we claim to follow. And I think that's, that is what is so dangerous about it, is that we have, when Jesus said, what good is it for a, for a man to gain the whole wide world but to lose his soul, right? We, um, yeah. I think that that our politics is playing into that as well, right? It's, we are, if our economy is going great, awesome, we voted for the right person, vote for this person because they're going to make sure our economy's good. Okay, awesome. So you're gaining the whole wide world, but are you losing your soul because you, you are putting everything into this political party or to this person that you're willing to forget about loving your neighbor who's on the opposite political party side or vote or, or, yeah. or wanting something different. And so, okay. So yeah, so I feel like we've we're in a place now where we have to bring, get our souls back. I think that we are um, the challenge is going to be realizing where we've sold ourselves out. Um, and I say in my blog post tomorrow um, or today, if you're listening to this on Friday, um, that if you if when I when I wrote it, it's like I think that for some reason we've gotten to this place where Christians have put a lot of effort into trying to elect a savior. Forgetting, oh. forgetting that we already have one. Um, yeah. That that we want a savior here on this earth, and we have forgotten that we don't need that. Um, and yeah. so we should be having somebody who is leading in every in every realm, not just president, but vice president, uh, uh, senators, local government. That if we really want to represent God well, then we need to be electing people who are going to be demonstrating th- those principles. Right and demonstrating what God showed to humanity. Um, yeah. And, and if we want to know what that is, well, then read Micah six eight, read Matthew five through seven. Right, you'll see what was required. And so when we like, and so we should be looking for people who represent that character. But it's just well, I want to add something to that. I think the church actually has a role in a society like ours, as far as voting goes. That I'm, I'm just now realizing this is kind of some new stuff for me, Bobby. So, brace yourself. This this may be stuff that you think about a lot, but this is new to Jared. You know? Yeah. And uh, so, one, you know, I mean, we're we're in a democracy. Uh, I guess technically we're in a republic, um, but just for now, for shorthand, I'll, I'll call it a democracy in that we vote. Now, let me preface this by saying that I fully get that there are some Christian denominations that do not vote. And I, I get that. 
You know, I get that. And in fact, some of those denominations are, you know, among my favorites theologically, you know. I get why someone would want to live in America and not participate in American government as a Christian. That actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I, for one, though, am a person who I do vote, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I do encourage people to vote and try to call people uh, in state government and and change policy, you know. And I just think that that is is a good way to get things done or at least try, right? Yeah. Um, but lately, you know, it, it's kind of dawned on me the simple fact that, you know, democracy is always going to favor the majority that you're like, duh, of course, majority rules. But where we run into trouble with that in America um, is that we have allowed majority and minority to be based on what like skin color, you know, and we've done that from the beginning. So and you have to now that I realize that logically that doesn't have to be true. But in the everyday sense of the word, when you say a minority group, that becomes shorthand for, you know, black Latino, uh, Jewish, right? It yeah. becomes, uh, right, it becomes, it basically becomes shorthand for a group of people non-white. Now you can talk about other minority groups like Catholic and what, but that's usually not what we mean, right? Right. And so when we talk majority, we talk like, you know, we mean white, right? And what I've, what I've come to realize is that, man, it's like democracy, unless some people in the majority are voting in a way that benefits the minority, things can never, ever, in the political sense, get better for minorities. Hmm. And so that's just the simple truth of it. And this really, like, dawned on me because of a poet. Uh, She appeared on, uh, maybe even like a month or two ago, uh, on a podcast I like called Code Switch. Uh, If you like our podcast, uh, and you just want to hear, like, you know, the history of race and, and how that connects to politics and everything else in America and the economy and language. Listen to Code Switch. Just look it up. It's an NPR show. A great couple of people running that thing. But anyway, they had poets on uh, a month or two ago. I can't remember. Uh, not to paint too too crazy of a picture, but, you know, I was just kind of sitting around cleaning house and, and listening to this. And, um, and this is called American Arithmetic by Natalie Diaz. Now, I cannot do justice to reading this poem. I just wanted to quote a couple of things from it, okay? Um, She's Native American. And, you know, all of the poetry on this particular episode of Code Switch was meant to be sort of census-related. Like, who counts in America? They actually got poets to write about the U.S. census. (laughs) Right, kind of different, I know, but... It, it really makes sense when you hear this. And she said, Native, and this is, the, this is the opening stanza of the poem. Native Americans make up less than 1% of the population of America. 0.8% of 100%. Oh, mine, efficient country. And then she goes on to, you know, uh, through very poetically talk about, you know, what it means to be Native American and be counted this way, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can maybe put a link to the poem and you can actually hear her reading it, um, you know, on frankincense, uh, if you're interested, but where, where that got me was she's talking about being 0.8% of the population. I I actually didn't know that that was the percentage of native Americans 
in the American population. So put it this way, in our system of government, if every single Native American decided they needed something, which is unlikely, right? Because that's still, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. But if every Native American said we need something from our government, they they represent they they are, they are literally not represent they are literally zero point eight percent. That means less than one percent. Even if they all vote unanimously on something, that means if the majority doesn't agree with them, they're not going to get what they need. Right? Mm-hmm. Simple numbers. And, you know, and she goes on in the poem uh, to to the end, and uh, this is the last part of it. She says, in an American city of 100 people, I am Native American. Less than one. Less than whole. I am less than myself. Only a fraction of a body. Let's say I am only a hand. And when I slip beneath the shirt of my lover, I disappear completely. So some poetic language there yeah. to show that – but if you think of that metaphor there, it's that in any given situation where Native Americans have to vote, there are not enough of them for their votes to count. The only way that their votes can count is if people in the majority vote like them. So this is where I actually think it is the job of Christians to side with the oppressed or to side with the underserved or to side with the forgotten and to actually educate ourselves on the needs of minority groups that are so small they don't have the numbers to make the change through voting. Hmm. So and instead of waiting for the 0.8% of Native Americans to, to come out and protest and tell me, white Christian middle class dude, you know, what they need, I think it's my job as a Christian to listen to that because, number one, I'm in America. Number two, I'm their neighbor. Right. And I have to love my neighbor as myself. And, you know, this, you know, this has been... This has been a journey for me, Bobby, because I just, you know, a few years ago, I wanted to start listening to voices of people of color in any way I could, either in person or through books or through podcasts. But to be honest, it's mostly been through podcasts. And, uh, you know, and uh, I just wanted to gain some perspective on how is it that minority groups want to vote and why do they perceive that they need something from local government, state government, federal government, and can I side with them? Can I side with them being a member of the majority? And I think Christians are a big chunk of people. Now take race out of it and just say Christians in America. That's that's black, white. That's a lot of Latinx people, a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Christians. And if we start, you know, I mean, honest to goodness, if we would listen to what people need, and really, at times, quit voting on the economy, <laughs> quit voting on military power, quit voting on our fears that minorities are going to get some help. Yeah. You know, and actually start, just start voting as if, like, man, I can help these other people. I do think it's important to become an informed citizen through learning about civics and history. 
And I think part of being an informed citizen for me is listening to people, to people who are in minority groups and see what they need and to ask myself, can I vote with them? Can I vote in the way that they, that they need people to vote? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, what you're saying is really, it's, it seems like it's common sense, but it's actually a revolutionary, right? Because, because that means that we would have to be required to listen. And that's, that's the challenge is that people have to step outside of what they are comfortable with to hear what's needed because like you said some people are voting for economy some people are voting for military strength some people are voting for specific topics they're very one topic uh political movement people right this is all we want to this is all we want to be protected um and and one of the things that's really uh, beautiful about this um i think you're wrong book is that they actually make mention of that that people tend to get in this mindset of like it's either it's it's one extreme to the next extreme, right? They, yeah. They aren't listening. To the, they aren't listening to the in between. It's it's a if we allow, um, for instance, uh, you know, they talk about the LGBTQ um, idea of well, if we allow um, the LGBTQ community to have these rights that you know that you know to get married or to have health insurance or whatever, then. All of a sudden, it's going to open the door for these crazy extremes, right? And yeah. and that's what people are afraid of. And so, instead of actually understanding that, man, there's actually an in between that we can get to, but because we aren't willing to get to that point, we aren't willing to sit and have a healthy dialogue and and listen to each other. And and again, we've talked about it before. I blame it on social media. I blame it on memes. I blame it on on the the small captions the bite-sized pieces that we've allowed ourselves to just get to we aren't reading books anymore we aren't reading full articles anymore we're reading little captions and allowing that to define our politics allowing that yeah. to define and our that understanding. is super dumb man like they're basically reading bumper stickers exactly Exactly, and that's yeah. the, and that is I think that is where we're where we're at. And Christians are the ones who should be the most informed. We are the ones who are who should be the most um, reactive in the and, and proactive to the needs of our people, the needs of the humanity, the needs of our neighbor. But we, for some reason, you know, we want to argue over things that are not even remotely necessary to argue over when it comes to what Jesus taught us to to fight for, right? Even what Paul told his people to fight for. We aren't supposed to be fighting over, you know, how, um, whether or not you should do yoga, you know? We aren't supposed to be fighting over whether or not you should be wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. We shouldn't even be fighting over, like, there are, these are things that we shouldn't be fighting over, but for some reason, we want to plant our flags and say, we want to fight over whether or not abortions should be allowed, we want to fight over whether or not LGBTQ people should get married. We want to fight over, and it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. How about we start fighting over whether or not our brothers and sisters who are in are, are being oppressed are being cared for and being served and being loved and being yeah. and being involved and, and know that they have people who are standing up for them? How about we start fighting for the things that are actually righteous, the things that are not self-righteous but righteous, right? The things that actually are what brings glory to God. When he says, be humble, right? Do justice and love mercy, right? To practice grace, to be present, to listen, to love, to be peacemakers, stand up, 
make a ruckus, but be peacemakers in the process, right? Like, right. Like we're supposed to turn over tables. We're supposed to get a little bit frustrated. We're supposed, but we're yes. but we're turning over tables that are ending oppression. We are take we are yeah. we are rescuing people from captivity who have been oppressed and used and and have been um, pushed into a place where they have to be used by people who are wealthier than they are, right? When I always think of the story when um, I'm, I'm going to mess this up, and I know I'm a horrible pastor when I mess up scripture, but but the story <laughs> is that you you know when when you have um, I want to say it's Peter and um, a couple other guys and they're walking and. The, there's a woman who's falling behind them. He's like, uh, Christ followers. You guys are Christ followers. You know, like basically yes. like calling them out. And they turn around and they say, get out of here, demon, right? And the demon leaves right. her. And then the guys who are making money off of her get mad at them. Like, we yeah, were, because she was a slave girl yeah. who had the authority to, like, tell the future. Yeah. And they were, they, were, they were making money off her. Yeah. And so because of that, like, they were shaking things up. But again... They were rescuing somebody from oppression. They were rescuing somebody from captivity, right. and that is who we're supposed to be. That's who she was in the clutches of an evil spirit, a demon. Personally, yeah, she was under clutches of an yeah. evil spirit, but she's also under the cl- clutches of the evil spirit of slavery, right? right. Of cap- uh, and her slave, her slave owners were using the 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 uh, the torment. Of having that evil spirit, they let her have that torment of the evil spirit because they were actually profiting from it. Yeah, and I think sometimes this is where we again have allowed ourselves to sell our soul, to lose our soul to gain the whole wide world. Right? We want our economy to be great. Well, in order for our economy, to, the economy to be great, we still have to keep people out. Right? We have to keep people yeah. down. We can't give people a living wage we can't um allow you know we have to we have to protect ourselves from immigrants right because if we let them in they're going to take our jobs you know like and so we got to protect our economy and so it's like instead of realizing no we, we should be caring for people who need food who need shelter who need a safe place to live but instead we're trying to protect our money um you see the panic over the 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 um support the uh, the reported coin shortage, right? And, oh yeah, you know, I heard it. Yeah, yeah. It's like people are in a panic over that. Like, oh, this is, and it's like we are we are so caught up in money, and this is why Jesus clearly said, "You can't serve two masters." Money is going to hold us captive. Money is going to be what what causes us to be up in arms and up in in and so crazy about things because that's what drives us if money is what we're looking for and longing for then yes we are going to go ahead and allow for oppression to occur we are going to allow yeah. for injustices to keep going on we are going to we are going to cry for the people who are oppressed to stop speaking about being oppressed because that means that the wealthy are going to start are start shutting things down. They're going to start, you know, they're going to start causing um, the stock market to shift, and it's going to cause turmoil. So stop saying that you're depressed. Because if you do, 
then you're going you're gonna to turn the world upside down. And Christians, stop talking about racism because if you do, then you're going to raise awareness. And if you raise awareness about it, then now all the people who are actually guilty of it, which are the wealthy people, a lot of wealthy white people are guilty of these racial acts. So now all of a sudden these wealthy white people are going to start saying, well, we're going we're gonna to start hoarding the wealth. We're going to start shutting, you know, kind of – and it's like it creates a tension. But yeah. The reality of it is Christians are the ones who are supposed to be causing the tension because that's what Jesus told told us we're going to be right at the end of Matthew at the end of his uh, not end of the Sermon on the Mount but when he starts you know when he's doing the blessed are the peacemakers blessed are those who mourn when he kind of yeah. says like look people are going to um, let me pull it up because I want to make sure I read it correctly because because it's so it is something that I think that we forget what he really yeah. says to us. Um, he actually says, uh, excuse me while I pull it up because I want to make sure it says. So he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted. So he says, um, here it is, verse 10 of Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, this is what's so beautiful about this section, because once he says they persecuted the prophets who were before you, the prophets who were before them that were being persecuted are the ones who were telling the kings that they were greedy. They were the ones telling yeah. the people of Israel that they were doing things wrong, that they were they weren't loving people, they weren't loving each other, they were they were pursuing things that were not exactly what God wants them to pursue. They want they wanted wealth, they wanted land, they wanted they wanted to be their yeah. own controllers. And they're like, wait a second, God, you're sovereign God. You are you are turning against him. You are lusting after things that are not of God. Like quit that. Those are the prophets that were being persecuted. So blessed are us when we actually stand up for the things that God would want us to be standing up for. So yes, we're going to have to speak out on issues that are going to cause some tension. We're going to have to call out other Christians that are saying things that are hateful and bigoted. You know why? Because that's not glorifying to God. And you know what? I'm that's when he's saying you're going to be persecuted for the righteousness sake because what's righteous? Well, righteous is what is what is right in God's eyes. And what is right in God's eyes is lifting up the oppressed, is calling out racism, is yes. speaking into um, bigotry, speaking into adultery, speaking into um, uh, child trafficking, speaking into those issues and challenging those things and challenging the church to realize that we have something bigger in store for us. And we have to be more active in challenging the status quo. And I feel like we're afraid to do that. We are afraid to do that. Why? Because if we do, if we do, the pastors are afraid to do that. Why? Because if we do, we lose money in the church because we're going to lose people. I had somebody tell me, I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking over here and I apologize. But, no, Bobby, this is the best sermon I've heard in a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm, I had somebody tell me the other day, another pastor friend of mine say, you know, Bobby, like I've heard your sermons. I read the things you post. Um, you're an anomaly, right? And I was like, and I and I say this, I'm like, well, why am I an why am I an anomaly? Like, because I'm. Right. He's like, well, because the thing is, you're a his, you're a Hispanic preacher in a rural white community, 
in Trump country and you're willing to say things that are totally going against what Trump stands for and going against what people are voting for. And I said, I said, I, regardless, I, like I would never, I won't ever say publicly, <laughs> I might say some things that he says is kind of ridiculous, but I would still recognize that Trump still has the image of God within him. So, yeah. so, but I will challenge the things that are very anti-God in the things that he says. And, right, I will point, and I will point those out biblically. And I'm not afraid to do it. Why? Number one, because I just, I don't care. Number one, I don't care about, like, I want a paycheck to be able to keep food on the table for my family. But I also realize, though, too, that I'm willing to risk in order to stand up for what's right in Scripture. Yeah. I'm willing yeah. to risk what's necessary in order to make sure that my people, my people in my church, but the people who hear my voice, understand that I'm speaking not from a political standpoint, but from a Jesus standpoint. Because he's the one who defines my politics. My faith, Andy Stanley said that, let your faith define your politics. Don't let your politics define your faith. Jesus is the one who defines my politics. If I see something that doesn't line up with what Jesus taught, I'm not going for it. Right. If I see something that Jesus says, like, you're supposed to care for your neighbor, love your neighbor, you're supposed to care for the oppressor, you're supposed to, if, a, if a, you see a wounded Samaritan or you see a wounded man on the side and you're in your, you know, and they're not one of you, you, you take them into a, an inn and you care for them if you can. You do what you can to make sure that they're safe. You make sure you might have to take on a bill that puts you out a little bit. But you know what? You're protecting humanity. You're protecting the dignity of a human being. So for me, if I see Jesus teaching that, then everything that I see in my politics better back that. So I'm not going to support putting kids in cages. I'm not going to support police brutality toward my brothers and sisters of color. I'm not going to support things that make our government become higher and above everything else because honestly, my government's not my God. My president's not my God. Jesus yeah. is, and so He's going to define me. So, yeah. I'm giving you an amen, preacher, on all of that. I am so, Bobby. My heart is beating faster because I find this so encouraging and and great to say. And um, I'm just going to say one thing, you know, um, about Jesus saying, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Yeah. Um, you know, wise person. I, I probably said this on the podcast before, but there's a, a wise person. A mentor of mine told me that there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. And I know you probably heard this from me before, but a peacekeeper sweeps things under the rug. But a peacemaker, you know, they they flip tables. And by the way, Jesus didn't just flip tables. He whipped a donkey. And have you ever seen livestock get crazy in a crowded area? Mm-hmm. It's not good. You want to talk about chaos, right? It mm-hmm. looks crazy, you know. Oh, yeah. So here's a, here's a donkey running through people, maybe kicking. There's tables being flipped over. There's money all over the ground, all right? You know, to use an old saying, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, you know? <laughs> and this is, this is what Jesus did in that. And then uh, talking about when you mentioned that Jesus said they killed the prophets before them, there were a few moments when they did listen to the prophets. And I just happened upon one the other day in my personal Bible reading in the book of Nehemiah. We get to a place where Nehemiah saw that there was – Social injustice. And what's crazy is all of the stuff that Nehemiah noticed that they were doing is perfectly legal and acceptable and even considered right in our capitalist society today. Mm -hmm. You know, what was happening was 
people were being sold into debt slavery. Now, that's not legal, but one thing that was happening is people's land was being repossessed. People were being kicked out of their homes, you know, um, because they owed money and couldn't pay it back. And, you know, people owed interest on some, some loans that they'd taken out and they couldn't pay it back. And they were being, they were having their possessions taken away and they were being made to work it off and all this other kind of stuff, you know. And uh, Nehemiah said, you got to quit doing that. And what's crazy is most of what they were doing, except for the actual debt slavery, uh, was was pretty legal now. You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like taking, taking someone's home and saying, get out, you know. Yeah. And uh, Nehemiah actually said, you got to find a different way. These are your countrymen, you know. I mean, you have, you know, your fellow people in your country, you know, in bondage to you over debt and you're taking their possessions. He's like, you got to quit that. And you know what they actually did? They actually listened to Nehemiah for once. Like one time, instead of killing the prophet, the people, the people of Israel were like, oh, you know what? He's right. That's not what God wants us to do with our fellow people. They gave people's homes back. They yeah. gave people's land back. It'd be like if you evicted some people or foreclosed on some mortgages and then reversed it, you know, you said, you know what? I was crazy. Come back. You can have your house back. You know, yeah. that's actually what they did. And Nehemiah told them that they averted disaster because God was getting ready to have other countries come and destroy them. Yeah. Just imagine if like a, a Christian lender actually lived up to that, right? Yeah. Where, where, where we're never going to, we are never going to foreclose. Like if you can't make it, okay, we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. but we're never going to, we are never going to foreclose on you. You, you go through us, like you got a loan, then you pay it. And if it means that you have to pay it forever, I mean, you pay it, but it's like, but we're never going to foreclose on you. We're never going to take your home away from you. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, and then if, if there, if there is an issue, then guess what? We get the church involved. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey church. These are the people that are having some struggles. Is there a way to help out for a few months until they can get on their feet? You know what I mean? And imagine, just imagine what would happen if the church would start responding with, okay, you know, like, um, you know, I, I see like these churches that are responding to medical debt, right? And which I'm like, dude, I'm I'm all for that. I think that's amazing that they're paying off like $1.2 million worth of medical debt. But the reality, right. but the reality of it is though, they're not paying $1.2 million of medical debt. They're paying like one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars for that debt that's covering a one point two million dollars because it's they're paying pennies on the dollar right from organizations oh. that have already taken on the debt so so i'm not I'm not downgrading that I'm just saying they're it's not as extravagant as paying one point two million however, what if they do the medical debt? But what if the church would actually start to respond to people who are about to get foreclosed on? You know what I mean? Like the church actually said, how do we start pu- like putting our money together? Hey, church around the nation. Like, look, yeah. it, it's not even just one church. Like quit being one church that's trying to rescue everyone. Start tapping into resources. Like yeah. churches, we have, you know, 500,000 people that are about to get foreclosed on. How do we start pulling our resources? Like, hey, the small church in rural West Virginia can say we can put five hundred dollars into the pot. Okay, well, this mega church can put eight hundred thousand dollars into the pot. Well, then this church over here can put another thousand dollars. All of a sudden, we have foreclosed like churches, that, houses that are being foreclosed on, rescuing other people from being pushed out into nothing. Why? Because we're responding. Yeah, they may have been yeah. irresponsible with their money. Yeah, they may not have been able to balance. You know, they aren't balancing their funds correctly. Okay, well then guess what? Hey, Dave Ramsey or someone like that who is a Christian, 
come in and start teaching them how to handle their budget a little bit better, right? Yeah. Don't judge them for that. Like, how about not judging? That's putting a light in the community. And, you know, this, you know, bailing people out or meeting people, you know, where they have need. I mean, you know, some people say, like, listen, man, it's not the church's job. That's socialism. Like, no, that socialism or communism, that's your word for it. It's Christianity. (laughs) Yeah, you can call it what you want, but the reality of it is you can read it in Scripture and find it that there's a balance in there. You know, like, um, yeah, yeah, you're supposed to work for what you have, and that's very true. But you're also supposed to care for those who are unable to, you know what I mean, or who are. Yeah, unable but, to. It's like, well, I mean, a lot of people think that, you know, you know, forgiving debt teaches irresponsibility. But I mean, you know, Jesus forgave our debt, you know, and the thing is, uh he doesn't seem to think that that's going to teach us to be irresponsible. You know, and even – and this is where I think we have a backward mindset because that's very true. Yes, Jesus does not expect us to be – he's not saying, oh, well, I rescued them from sin um, and death. Well, they're just going to keep on sinning. You know, it's like they, he didn't teach us to just keep on sinning. He told us to just go and right. sin no more, right? But the right. but but the thing is he taught lessons. He, he, he taught and – and I think that that's where we're where the church has failed is that we have not allowed ourselves to be teachers. We want to we want to spread the gospel. We want people to accept Christ so we can go ahead and get the numbers up on how many people raised their hands on a Sunday morning. We want to go ahead and get the numbers up on how many got baptized. But but how about we start taking some 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 real uh, strong numbers on how many people have we rescued from from debt. How many people right. have we rescued from from losing their homes? How many people have we rescued in their medical bills not being paid? How many people have we taught to be financial financial responsible responsible? Not signing up for a financial class, but actually teaching them and being a part of their lives to a point where we can speak into it and help encourage it and balance it for them. Because the reality of it is, is that some people need they need people to walk into their lives to be a part of that. They need to listen. Right. This is what we were talking about is listening to each other, understanding each other, being a part of this. And and again, this isn't a part of Republican Democrat. Right. This is a right. part of faith. This is our uh, this is a part of the church because we are children of God. We are part of that kingdom. And that's what we are first and foremost. We are not Republican. We are not Democrat. We are not independent. We are not Green Party. We are not libertarian. We are kingdom people first. And that's right. what should move us to make any decisions that we make. And so before we vote, before we make any policy changes, before we desire yeah. to see – like we should look into the scripture and say, where is it written? How does it support what, what what I stand on? Or is this just my personal opinion? Do I feel this because of how I was raised? And if this is – then that's OK. You know, Deal with that. But if it's not balanced out in scripture – then you might need to be able to you might need to back off from being so attacking on a different party because everybody has a different story right so how do we really come around like okay what does really line up with where we stand as followers of Christ and how do we move toward that politically and how do we move toward that to listen to the oppressed listen to the poor listen to those who are struggling listen to the widow listen to the orphan Listen to those who have been pushed out in in our society, who have who have been looked at as less than the the less than yes. one the less than one percent, right? And how do we really put ourselves at their feet, right? And listen. People have been so up in arms over um, watching 
uh, white people kneeling in front of African-American people, right? There, I've seen so many people so mad about that. Like, I'm not going to okay. like, and, and I'm not about like white guilt. Like I have a, I have a hard, I have a problem with that a little bit. Um, yeah. you know, and that's coming from a, a Hispanic person. Like, I'm not going to like, I don't sure. want, I don't want white people to feel guilty. I want well, them to I, be, think, I, I think you and I both realize like how useless that actually is. Right. We want people to really listen and engage with our pain, our story, and understand where we're coming from, and now walk with us in our journey. And and that's yeah. where when we see people who are saying they're kneeling and they're apologizing for the for the for the pain that they've gone through, I don't look at that as such a bad deal. I'm saying awesome, you know. But yeah, I mean, I look at it like this. I mean, if you if you've been, you know, I mean. You know, women have been oppressed historically and still, you know, aren't equal in the workforce in terms of pay gap, you know. And, you know, and, you know, as a man, it's like, you know, you grow up kind of not even knowing that, you know. But if you but if you're you're suddenly made aware of this and then you say, listen, like, how can I be an ally now? You know, if you were to kneel down before the women in your life and say, how can I be an ally? You know, that's not male guilt. That's called turning over a new leaf you know yeah that's acknowledging that's listening that's saying i'm getting down to your level when jesus yeah. knelt down to the woman who was caught in adultery is that him yeah is that him kneeling in in a, like a submission to her no that's him kneeling saying look i'm on i'm coming to your level right now you are standing here at the top and i'm down here and this is where you have felt like you've been all this time and now you're at the place where you're looking down on me and because all this time you felt that I've been looking down on you based on skin yeah. color. Now I'm replacing I'm, – I'm moving that role. I want you to see me where – I want to see you from from your perspective that you've seen me, right? And so now we're looking at each other. But now when we stand up, we're eye to eye. And now how do we walk together, right? And that is that is who we're supposed to be. That is who the church is supposed to be. That we we get to the place of empathy, putting ourselves at that lower spot, recognizing where people come from. And then when we stand up, we're at that level, eye to eye, recognizing that we are now on the same journey, the same trajectory that God wants us to be on together for his kingdom. Shining light in the world, fighting for what is right, fighting for the justice that has been – fighting for justice – taking out eradicating the injustice and doing what we can to stand up to the systems and the people and the, and the powers that have manipulated and oppressed right and we have to remember Amen. that we're not at a fight against flesh and blood there's something deeper and darker that's fighting here and once god people start fighting against the darkness the darkness is going to rise up, and that's where we have to be ready to fight against that. We're not fighting against each other. We're fighting against the enemy who's trying to end humanity, right? That That's powerful, man. Amen to that. Bobby, if you ask me what my final thought is tonight, I just want to say ditto to all of that. I'm saying amen. <laughs> well, that's yeah, I think I think I've spoken enough to where I don't need to have a final thought. But, um, but yeah. actually, I have one final thought. Go I'm for sorry, it. I have one final thought. I think if I think the coin shortage would go away if everyone would just check the couch in their living room. 
Yes, I agree. I also want to say the coin short the coin shortage probably wouldn't be happening if um, yeah. those WVU fans didn't burn all those couches, you know, because I think that that's where a lot oh, of the coins went. I didn't even think about that. We need to check like where they had the bonfires and go through some of that. I mean, we West Virginians have a lot a lot to do with this whole thing, and um, and I think that we should be apologizing on behalf of West Virginia that it's um we burnt a oh, lot of couches. Man. Well, we ain't burnt no couches this year and, <laughs> until they bring back football. We're all going to – I heard base – just some, I just want to say this. I'm about to have a major conversion here. I hear baseball's coming back, mm-hmm. and I realize that, you know, it's one of the few sports that can exist. And I feel like, you know, I'm kind of a theater person. You know that, right? But yes. there's no theater, so I'm probably going to start watching baseball. So that's big for me. People well, think that's strange, but listen, man, it's like football people – since there's no football, are going to be watching baseball. Well, guess what? Theater people, if there's no theater, are also going to be watching baseball. And you know what? It might bring us together, and it might save baseball. Well, I'm telling you right now, um, I've already we've already gone um, 15 minutes over our normal time, and right now, the, my my favorite baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, um, they're playing the Los Angeles Dodgers right now on ESPN, and oh. uh, and so I'm going to be spending my night watching that game because you know. West Coast games don't come on till 10 p.m. over here, so oh, wow. I have to. Philadelphia was playing today too, so it's like, man, see, and the fact that I even know that proves that I need something. <laughs> I just think it's going to be baseball. So, well, baseball's worth watching. I, I, yeah, I, I love football. I'm a huge football fan, but baseball's worth watching, especially when there's only six games this season. So. That's what I'm saying. We're, we're gonna meet. We're gonna meet in the middle with baseball. You know, of, of all the sports to watch, you know, baseball has always been my favorite. Well, here I am. Baseball, I'm here. Well, this is the season to catch on because, like I said, it's a uh, yeah. sixty games instead of one hundred and ninety thousand games. So, um, I know, like every night of the week and stuff is how games used to be. Yeah. Every night, too. I love. I love going to visit my uh, my uh, wife's relatives in uh, Illinois every night. Uh, St. Louis was on the TV every single night, you know. Yeah. So I think sometimes twice a day, to be honest with you. Yeah. Like at and at night. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, man, it's been a great conversation as always. Um, so definitely appreciate uh, everything that you bring to the table, man. It's been good. Yeah, it's been good. I'm gonna do whatever I can to get people to listen to this episode because I think you had some good words for us, Bobby. Very edifying. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, um, with that, uh, if you, you've been listening to the Frank Says Podcast, and if you like what you're hearing, please take time to like us, rate us, share us, um, you know, rate us on iTunes because that helps other people find us. And um, honestly, it'd be pretty awesome to be like, you know, one of the top uh, Christian podcasts, you know, like, because always, I always see like, if you listen to this, you'll like Joel Osteen. It just cracks me up. Um, so if we, uh, but I, I think that's kind of funny. But um, but the reality is, it'd be kind of fun to see us kind of bounce up above them. But that's just my thought. So if you like us, rate us, share us, do all that stuff because it's yeah. great. But with that, um, I'm Bobby. I am Jared. And you've been listening to Frank and Says podcast. We will talk to you later. Bye. Bye.